From the News Channel 5 Network, this is Inside Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm News Channel 5's political analyst, Pat Nolan. Welcome to Inside Politics. Next Monday night, February 5th, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee will give his annual State of the State address. He will speak to the 113th Tennessee General Assembly, as well as other top state officials and a statewide television audience. News Channel 5 Plus will carry the speech live beginning at 6 p.m. And I will join Hunter Holcomb after the speech on open line at 7 p.m. to analyze what the governor says. This is Governor Lee's fifth state of the, of the state address as he outlines his views on how the state is doing, along with his proposed budget and his legislative agenda for the year. To give us a preview of what to expect from the state of the state and how the legislature is progressing as it, it comes towards the end of its first full month of its second regular session, we're joined as our guest today, News Channel 5's Capitol Hill reporter, Chris Davis. Chris, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, Pat. It's been clear for a couple of months now that Governor Lee's top legislative priority this session will be to make his school choice program permanent, extending it statewide and opening it up to all K-12 eligible students in Tennessee. Now, the current voucher program just barely passed a couple of years ago. I understand there remains opposition. This time it's not just Democrats in Memphis and Nashville, but also teachers and school boards, even in Republican areas of the state who don't like it because it is statewide. Absolutely. You're seeing on social media, you're seeing in interviews and in newspapers that a lot of these superintendents, like you said, in rural districts and a lot of, uh, you know, these districts that lawmakers are used to having, you know, the authority to do what they want to do that do not like this bill for lots of different reasons. Schools are the largest employers in a lot of these counties. Uh, does it making challenges for lawmakers? to get on board to support this bill when they've got that kind of pushback at home? No question. I think you're going to see a lot of situations where these lawmakers kind of have to make a choice. Do I want to keep you know, a lot of my constituents constituents happy, but then also on the other side, you have a lobbying effort for this, where I think a lot of lawmakers are gonna be threatened with being primaried if they don't go along with this, and they're gonna have an interesting choice to make. Which raises an interesting question. Sometimes lawmakers, particularly on the controversial issues in election year, would prefer not to commit one way or the other until after the qualifying deadline, which I think is in April. Are we likely to see what happens? This bill basically set up their dormant until April, and then after the qualifying deadline, they'll be able to figure out if it's time to move it at least through the rest of the committees to get it to the floor. I think that may be a big part of it, and as you know, our, our conversation continues today, this does not seem to be just a one bill solution for this statewide voucher expansion. It appears to be several bills, several steps, and so I think a combination between the controversial aspect and then also that this is going to be a pretty heavy lift legislatively to get it all done. Particularly in terms of the accountability issue. A lot of people are criticizing this plan because it doesn't appear at this point that it's going to require those who get the vouchers to take the statewide testing that all the public school kids have today and the current people that get the vouchers have to take this test as well. You're saying they might change it to a multi-layered multi kind of testing situation, actually make some changes in the current system, which has always not worked very well. Those, those statewide tests have not had good, good reviews. It's interesting, Pat. So I think the private school students that receive the statewide Freedom Scholarship, as they like to brand it, they will not have to take testing. There will not be an accountability so measure. Schools, in a lot of cases, they use their own testing, like Iowa testing, thing like that. Right, they absolutely. I know that's the what the Catholic Diocese does, too. Yeah, so, so private schools will not be held to that standard, which the critique is, if you're receiving public dollars, shouldn't we be knowing you know how these students are performing but then on the other side of this the speaker of the house has hinted a few times in press conferences and some lawmakers behind the scenes have hinted to me you know that th there appears to be some sort of mechanism in this effort that would make it to where high achieving public schools say like a williamson county school system would not maybe have to 
be held to the same testing standard as maybe a you know metro school who doesn't have metro national school that doesn't have as high test scores in an effort to try to get more votes out of some legislators who are reluctant you may be creating more controversies for those who say well wait a minute our folks still have to take this test and Williamson County doesn't that, that's not fair absolutely and I think if you look at the demographics of these districts of course you know a you know strong tax base county like Williamson County is going to have really good test scores they have lots more resources to use than say a Metro Nashville school or a Shelby County school now right now the voucher program is in three counties it's in Nashville uh, Shelby County and also in Hamilton County um, their income limits about it as well um, the, what kind of participation do we get? I think there's 20,000 scholarships available, but they don't have 20,000 kids in, to take these vouchers right now. No, they don't. They don't. I don't have the specific numbers, but I know for sure, Pat, that you know that you're not seeing a situation where it is. You know, every single one of those vouchers is even being close to being claimed, which is why I think it's interesting in the statewide expansion bill on year two of that program, the income, income limits and the demographics part goes away and it's open to any student, which I think the critique is there are gonna be a lot of private school parents and why wouldn't they? Hey, we'll take that $7,000 scholarship if there's not any type of qualification to get it. There's a lot of mystery at this point about the cost of this exact new program we get into that if it's passed. Scholarships are a little over $7,000 right now, uh, but um, private school tuition cost in public schools of education goes up every year. I have not seen anything that says, okay, after we have a full year of this and, and education goes up tuition, uh, is it going to be, is it, the voucher going to be increased? Is there some mechanism to, to do that by inflation or something? Or is that, it seems to be very quiet about that. That is one of the many questions that we're eager to learn about because as we've mentioned before, Pat, that final version of the bill has not been filed. Now, if you follow this all closely, there is a bill filing deadline that's, that was set for the end of January. How they get around that is they can file what's called caption bills, which is essentially they say a bill is for one thing, then they go in and amend it and it's something else. I've been told that the uh, initial kind of uh, bill for the voucher expansion it has been filed as a caption bill, but we don't have that final language yet. We're expecting maybe a little bit more detail at the state of the state, but maybe not all of it. State's also facing declining debt uh, revenues, tax revenues, which hasn't happened in several years. I, it's unclear to me exactly how difficult that's going to be, but to add in a program as large as this particular one's going to be, I suspect that gives some lawmakers pause. I think that's why we're seeing kind of a slow moving legislature so far because you, ha you they do, this is the top priority for the governor. So you have the voucher expansion. Then they're also hoping to cut the franchise and excise tax, a tax on businesses. That's gonna take some uh, money away. I I've been told that essentially the, the budget situation is, it's not that the tax revenue collection is going down, it's so much that it's flattening and we've been used to it going up quite a bit. But I think there's gonna be a lot of budgetary restraints that these lawmakers are not used to having to think about. Uh, in years past. Chris Davis is News Channel 5's Capitol Hill reporter. We're talking about the governor's upcoming, this coming Monday night, the State of the State address, which he's going to talk about, how long they're likely to respond. Back to continue our conversation after this break. We're back on Inside Politics with our guest today, News Channel 5's Capitol Hill reporter, Chris Davis. This is coming in the wake of the governor, or in the anticipation of the governor's speech on Monday night of the State of the State. Uh, Chris, uh, stay back on voters for just a few minutes. Um, both sides have their dueling uh, public opinion polls. The Beacon, the Beacon Group says strong support, bipartisan support, and particularly strong support among Republicans. 
the Tennessee Education Association, the, the teachers union basically has a poll that just came out this week that says no, 60% of Republicans oppose it and 70% say they wouldn't vote for a lawmaker if he's in favor of the voucher program. Somebody's got to be wrong about that. Right. They what both. Are the, where are lawmakers going? Well, as you might expect, Pat, uh, each. Uh, party likes the poll that suits their view the best. We did uh, <laughs> news conferences yesterday, and if you ask the Republicans, it is absolutely the Beacon poll that you know is doing you know the the, the Lord's work on on where everybody is. Uh, if you talk to the Democrats, it's the TEA poll. Everybody's kind of in their own silos and pushing you know the message they're they're hoping to send. But I think to your point. It's going to be it's going to be complicated because this intersects. This isn't just a straight party line vote, I don't think, because you have rural districts that have different needs than uh, urban and suburban. And I think this is going to be one of the bigger political fights that we've seen up there in a long time. All this comes also in in the wake and the ongoing uncertainty on the hill, just about how they're getting along with each other. Tensions were raised, I think, again a little bit Thursday of this week when Nashville De Democratic Representative. Justin Jones uh, declined to give the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, which, which the lawmakers do before every session. Uh, he said he didn't think that uh, the words in that uh, of liberty and justice for all really meant anything or was not being followed by the state legislature. Some Republicans are now calling for him to resign. There's also a bill that if Justin Jones is kicked out again, or for that matter, Justin Pearson, the other that was kicked out, they wouldn't be able to be reelected by their county bodies to come back. Uh, they're really aiming particularly at Justin Jones to, to put him in his place, if you will. There is no love lost between the two, as I'm sure you can appreciate that. Um, I mean, and, and you can just tense it. I mean, anytime uh, even either of the Justins, as it's kind of colloquially become known, speak on the on the floor, everybody even kind of, you know, turns their back or starts a side conversation. There, there's not a lot of respect, at least in the Republican caucus. For those members, I would, I would argue there's also some tension within the Democratic caucus between kind of these newer, younger activist members and some of the old guard. But uh, yeah, I think they um, would very much like to bait these uh, guys into another situation where they could kick them out and then maybe have a law changed to where they can't come back. And there are all these rules that were in the special session and some have been brought back in a modified version. One of them actually limits the amount of time to present bills both in committee and on the floor. How is that working so far? We haven't had any real controversial bills come to the floor. Is, is that going to be a problem or is the flow of legislation going on as usual? You know, we, you're right. We haven't seen a whole lot of this come to place, but I did, it did uh, catch my attention that even in the rules committee where they're trying to create and set these new rules, uh, Representative Garrett almost had to talk like an auctioneer to get through all the details within the time frame. And so especially when we get to these really complicated bills like voucher expansion, that is where I think we could see these new rules come into play. Um, you have seen some older lawmakers that are used to taking their time with welcoming and honoring now limited to one minute. That makes them be, uh, you know, find that brevity is a virtue with this rule. <laughs> it's been a flashpoint before. Maybe again, there's there also are situations where the, the House Speaker or somebody from motion to the floor can say the current speaker that's on this talking on the floor is speaking out of order. They're not speaking to the bill. They can, if they do it enough, they can be basically banished from being able to speak on the floor. Uh, how is that working? That, that, I, that has already happened at least one day for, for, for Representative Jones. Is it happened to anybody else? I think I, I think that is the only time that that has come up so far. But once again, when we get into some of these really hot bucket button issues, I would expect that to happen again. You have these rules as well that sort of limit now public access to be able to go to the legislature and see it. They they cut down the number of seats in the gallery. They can be in the gallery. They have to have a ticket, and each lawmaker only has one ticket to get in. Uh, 
they're also doing something else I've never seen before. They're passing a bill that says, if you don't like what we've done in terms of our rules, you can't appeal them to the courts. Is that, have they gotten a, an attorney general's ruling about whether that's constitutional? I think that is going to be a, definitely a court case waiting to happen. I just don't see, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an attorney, don't play one on TV, but I think that will definitely <laughs> uh, come up in the court system if that gets uh, far enough along to be passed. Talking about the ticketed system, I think Monday will be a great test case for how that works because the state of the state everybody kind of wants to be there and they're going to keep that ticketing policy in place even for the stay of the state so uh, i think people are going to have to get their hours ahead of time if they want to get into the public side of the gallery and you're going to have to call in a favor if you want one of those tickets on the ticketed side or they may just stand outside the uh, the actual chambers and chant which, I, I, they, which we, they do right now we have seen that quite a bit but uh, be more people doing that yeah absolutely it seems in a way that whenever a group crosses or seems to oppose the republican supermajority they try to strike back, and the latest one I've seen this week is that the Covenant mass shooting. Of course, we had the, the writings of, of the uh, the shooter, and people want some people want to get those released, others don't. Uh, but the legislature is considering a bill that would stop any outside group from being able to inter even intervene to ask for open documents requests or public documents requests. Although that won't impact the Covenant case, it certainly will put a damper on being able to do that if something like, God forbid, something like this comes up again. Absolutely. I think that one will be an interesting one to watch um, I, because I think you can still do the open records request, but it prevents third parties like the Covenant parents to come in and intervene from letting it be released. Um, Senator G Todd Gardenhire is taking, and who is, one, is the lawmaker who asked for the writings in that case, is trying to say this is a, you know, this is a, in an effort of public records and openness, um, but, uh, but I, I think you have a great point, Pat. I think you could certainly make the argument that this is retaliatory for getting in the way of what he's wanting to do. Oh, we haven't talked a lot about the House. We haven't talked at all about the State Senate. The State Senate was, you know, as a body, basically would not pass, would not even consider the bills that were coming up in terms of gun reform during the special session. They just didn't want to do it. They, they bottled up a lot of those bills, made some people in the House mad. Um, what are they going to do this time? They are going to have their leader, I understand, coming back for the state of the state. Well, yeah, they are. We, we confirmed that yesterday uh, with the spokesperson for Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. He's been on the mend at home after some surgeries in the offseason, so to speak. Um, he is coming uh, to the state of the state, or at least that's the plan on Monday, and is planning to stay on. But to that point, Pat, the Senate has not held a leadership press conference without Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. So unless you grab some senators off to the side and to be transparent here, the House has been a little bit more dramatic, so I haven't spent a whole lot of time over on the Senate side, but we have not really heard a lot from leadership on what their plans are for this session. So we have been told that once the Lieutenant Governor's back in town, we should expect those press conferences to start back up. It'll be interesting to see what they think. Chris Davis is our guest. He's News Channel 5's political uh, Capitol Hill reporter. Back to continue our conversation about what's going on in the legislature and the state of the state coming up on Monday after this break. Welcome back to Inside Politics. Our guest today is Chris Davis. He's a News Channel 5's political uh, Capitol Hill reporter. Uh, Chris, uh, in terms of gun reform legislation, nothing happened in the special session of note in terms of gun reform, actually. But uh, in this case, do you get the feeling coming back that even though the gun lobby has been opposed to any change in that, there might be some areas where there's going to be some change about that? And is the Senate, we don't know exactly, but 
Are these bills that the Senate might consider as well? I think the bill that has the best chance is the Julian Ludwig bill named after uh, the Belmont student that uh, died uh, tragically a few months ago. And uh, basically it's a bill that is tied to mental incompetency. It's basically saying if you've been ruled by a court to be mentally incompetent or unfit to stand trial, that you would have your guns uh, taken uh, from you, removed, you know, that sort of thing. And so I think that one probably has the best chance. It's uh, it's sponsored by the two majority leaders in each chamber. So Johnson on the Senate side is also a sponsor of that. I think that's a clear indication that it does have a chance in the Senate. Um, and, I, and I've been told that they got the blessing from some gun rights organizations before they did this. So I think it's, I think they're trying to, to prime the pump to be able to actually pass that. More bills up again about abortion, this time to sort of loosen or add some restrictions for when people can still get an abortion because right now it's pretty much a ban. Um, any the public opinion still seems to be that the, 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 the law in Tennessee is too strict, but are lawmakers hearing that? Or are they still hearing no? It, uh, right to Life says they'll disown them if they do that. Right, and I think to that point, there are a lot. most Republican lawmakers are gun shy. I would say the one notable exception is Senator Richard Briggs from Knoxville is hoping to push a bill. Um, WPLN had a great article about it. I've talked to Senator Briggs about it. Um, he's wanting to do one where if the mom is in the risk of being not able to, to certainly, uh, essentially be sterile um, because of a, a, a poor pregnancy, there could be an abortion exception for that. I think he's going to have a tough road ahead. We are seeing, uh, I, I did a story two weeks ago about Representative Zachary's bill that where if someone aids a minor in getting an out-of-state abortion or a medical uh, pill abortion, they could face a felony. I think that's going to be more of the direction that the supermajority goes. Uh, it also appears that perhaps on Monday night, the border crisis at the southern border may actually come up. Governor Lee is going to the Texas border this weekend. Uh, he's a, the head of the Republican Governors Association. He's down there to support Governor Abbott down there who wants to try to take over immigration efforts in that state. The Supreme Court has ruled against him on that. Uh, is Governor Lee going down there to try to see if he can help him find a way to get around that Supreme Court order? And how do you do that? I, that's a great question, Pat. I, th I would imagine it's more of courting the court of public opinion than anything. Um, you even saw uh, Representative uh, Faison uh, in the House try to give an impassioned speech the day that that kind of all boiled over last Thursday. Um, so I think it may be more posturing than anything, but uh, I would not be surprised if it comes up in the state of the state or just in tweets and social media posts. Anytime you have a state of the state or a state of the union or even that matter state of metro, everything's always rosy and great. But given some of the challenges that we face, particularly financially for the state we hadn't had in a while, is it going to be quite as rosy? Oh, I think, uh, you know, it will be it will be portrayed certainly as rosy as can be. Like you said, that is traditionally the way these things go. Uh, but I think to that point, there will be a lot of people there in the audience or out in the rotunda or, you know, even the pre-buttle that the Democrats are doing that are going to try to say, and not quite as rosy as we think. Any impact on first every year we get a record amount of money into the rainy day fund, any impact on the raises for teachers and state employees that the governor will talk about? That's talked about every year. Yeah, I, it seems like they are very determined to keep the raises for teachers continuing. The goal being getting teachers to that $50,000 mark by the time Governor Lee leaves office. They seem very determined to meet that threshold. They seem very determined to still cut the franchise and excise tax. They seem very determined to still get vouchers in. But then that means there's not probably going to be a whole lot of room 
for other things. And so, you know, anytime lately when I've asked the speaker or the majority leader, hey, does this bill have a chance? They all say, well, we'll talk about it behind the budget, which usually means thanks, no. but no thanks. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and also they'll talk about it once they get the supplemental which doesn't come up this is a supplemental budget that adds some things into the into the budget that weren't there before usually because there's more revenue now there may not be more revenue to do all that but right they, they the republicans will stress though it's not so much that revenue is declining it's more flattening but we've just gotten used to it always rising chris davis good luck monday night and good luck for the rest of the session <laughs> thank you very much pat and thank you for joining us on inside politics i'll be back here again for a future show if you can't catch our program over here on the cable or online every week, keep up with us now by listening to our new Inside Politics podcast. It's now available on Spotify, iHeart, and Apple Podcasts. Some episodes are already posted and others we post it every week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and goodbye.